Show me the crypto. <laughs> Show me the crypto. <laughs> Show me the crypto. In a world on the brink of disruption, two men will bring you clarity by interviewing some of the most intelligent and influential names in the blockchain world. Welcome to Show Me the Crypto with your hosts, Wade Patterson and Ulf Lonegren. Well, hi there and welcome to Show Me the Crypto. My name is Wade Patterson. And I'm Ulf Lonegren. We're a couple of friends from Canada who love learning about cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, and we're happy you're along for the ride. Whether you're a crypto virgin or you know your way around the block, we hope our interviews with some of the most intelligent and influential people in the space help deliver you with value. And on this episode, we're joined by Devin Bernard, a full stack engineer and product manager who was recently involved in the first ever real estate property sale via a non-fungible token. For 36 ETH, Devin purchased TechCrunch founder Michael Arrington's 500 square foot apartment in Kiev, Ukraine, or more specifically, an NFT that represents ownership of that property. The proof of concept sale was the first of its kind and created a legal framework for future property sales that also have a digital representation on the blockchain. Devin, welcome to Show Me the Crypto. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to have you on. And so obviously, this is a fascinating story, which we want to dive into. But before that, perhaps equally fascinating is your own background. I was reading on LinkedIn that you've been a self-starting hacker since age 13, who went on to simultaneously intern for Microsoft and Google, while also running two startups. Can you give us just like the your origin story, like feel free to go into detail the long form version of it? Yeah. Um, so grew up in New Hampshire, live free or die. And uh, <laughs> I grew up in a, a really small town, um, you know, and this just as the time where a lot of people started getting computers. I didn't really have access to computers growing up. Uh, eventually I had a relative where their computer was breaking and, you know, they thought it was full of viruses. Like, hey, I'm going to throw it away, but if you can fix it, you can keep it. I'm like, sweet. Uh, I was able to fix it, uh, and I immediately started coding that week. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So at thirteen, yeah. And so uh, you just you just gotten your first computer, learned to fix it, and boom, <laughs> you're right into coding. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, at the time, I was just really excited to make like computer games and stuff like that. They're all really crappy and very low quality games, but you know, you, you get started somewhere. Uh, and then I transitioned into web and a whole bunch of other stuff. But I guess outside of that, um, you know, transitioning from, you know, New Hampshire, doing school in New York, then ended up starting a few consulting firms, some startups, uh, as you mentioned, you know, the, the double interning, that was a weird story. Uh, apparently, Google's really slow at extending offers. So I started interviewing with Google. They, it's like a six month process before you even hear back. So in that entire time, there ended up being a, a window where Microsoft, they, uh, it was crazy enough, they tried calling me saying, hey, are you not interested in, uh, in like interviewing with us? I'm like, what do you mean? And they say, oh, we've been emailing you for months and we haven't heard back from you. I'm like, okay, what well, email have you used? And apparently 
my school like has weird email handles. So they just mis- misspelled my name uh, uh, in my email. So thank God that recruiter called me. No uh, they're like, yeah, like if you can come like next week, like we'll interview like, and it's all like in one weekend and then you'll be done. My like, cool. So interviewed, gotten after, crushed it. They're really excited. Uh, and then a, a few weeks after that, Google reaches out. I was like, hey, like, you know, we'd like to give you an offer. And I'm like, okay, well, do I really like want to say no to that? So I'm like, okay, let me like talk to people, make sure everyone's okay. Um, so I ended up doing um, on-site for Microsoft in Cambridge and then remote for Google. So like you can get, uh, since it's East Coast time you can, and then West Coast time for Google, you can like get out of the office and then have some extra time. Uh, for like meetings and such, but that that was pretty interesting experience. <laughs> Kept oh, things busy. Like you, yeah, you're probably pretty um, uh, pretty uh, full up with a lot of work at that. Were they time. were they okay with that? Like, were or did you? Was it kind of a secret that you were interning for both? Or no, so it was like aware. I definitely didn't want to ruffle any feathers, um, especially like big tech firms. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, they're like, hey, as long as you you know went in office. You know, you're you're doing our stuff. You're not like sharing any of the code. You're not like explaining what you're doing to other people. And like, if you're showing up and your quality is lacking or you're fe- feeling or seeming distracted, then you know that would be a problem. But you know, if not, okay, you can try it. Right. Um, yeah. But since then, I've been in San Francisco Bay Area for about five years now. I'm doing a lot of work in healthcare and AI. And then in terms of crypto at what point were you first introduced to the crypto space and what was your initial impression yeah so i guess throughout school like let's say uh 2013 2014 uh there was times where i you know knew people doing crypto uh some people at my uh college you know co-founded some crypto companies which have gone on to be pretty successful um so I, i did a little bit of like trading here and there nothing crazy long-term holding which would have been the the smart idea in retrospect (laughs) (laughs) i think you're smart at the time doing day trading but no it should just help uh but anyways um i think i really got more back into it after gamestop so i was able to ride the gamestop wave had some fun with that and then i realized how kind of frustrated or annoyed i was the stock market returns for my portfolio was like near zero it like over a three-year period it dipped down and then broke even mm. I'm like hey that is essentially a waste of time and opportunity cost why did i even keep my money in the stock market for three years if it just broke even mm. uh so i was a little disgruntled from that i'm like okay fine i don't care if i lose it all let me throw in crypto and then crypto also goes boom uh which was pleasant <laughs> so that's all pretty recent then like uh, what, what you're referring to when you get got back into crypto yeah, yeah, that was, I guess, you know, like, uh, like February, March. Right, right. At what point did you get in on GameStop? Like, how early were you there? Yeah, so the funny thing, um, I think I didn't follow any of the, the Reddit stuff initially. Um, I don't do social media that much. But my uh, best friend and roommate, he wrote it for the first day. So he essentially doubled his money. He's like, oh, wow, this is great. Okay, I'm going to like stop. Uh, and then, you know, they, they told me about, you know, the, the technicals of, of the short squeeze. I'm like, hmm, I think there's probably still room for this ride. So I like transferred, uh, you know, like a whole, a whole bunch of like uh, other stuff into what they call Robin Hood. And then I did that. And I, I rode that for the remaining um, portion. 
but good, good for you. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I know some people who got in like later on, but it was more of like just kind of the principle of it. They knew it probably wasn't going to go too much crazy further from there, but it's cool to hear you got in early. Mm-hmm. Uh, so jumping into this NFT purchase, because it's just such an interesting story and that's what we want to focus on here. How did you first hear about the opportunity and why did it capture your attention? So I first heard of the opportunity about two days before the auction. Uh, I just stumbled across it through, you know, some tech news. And in particular, I found that story fascinating because I believe that their real estate is going to be transacted in a, you know, more crypto friendly fashion in the future. Uh, You know, we're going to see less middlemen. And it's just going to be faster, you know, lower fees, and, and overall, I think, a better experience for both the buyer and sellers of, of properties. So that I just, from friends I know working in space, also I thought, yes, this this seems to be a, in, uh, a trend that's going to continue. And something just really struck me about the idea of how, like how historical that property was. Um, you know, even whether you, you can rent it out or you can't, or I, I don't necessarily plan on living in the Ukraine uh, <laughs> anytime soon, at least then, um, you know, I just thought it was, it was very fascinating. The idea of, Hey, like this is a first both for the original, like, Hey, there's a smart contract that we do to transfer ownership of a property and you can pay for it in cryptocurrency in this case, Ethereum, uh, then also even making it more fast, uh, with, with an NFT, um, just seem very, um, fascinating. And so what was the process for actually, you know, like the the concept is relatively easy to understand. I purchased property with an NFT as the primary, you know, means of uh, transaction, I, I suppose. But what was the actual process like? You know, how is that legal? Was it difficult to uh, figure out the ins and outs of making that an actual legal transaction? You know, just uh, maybe you can get into the details there. Yeah. So there's a company, Proppy that uh, is, uh, you know, doing this tokenizing of real estate um, or digitizing of real estate. And they create a legal framework to make this quite easy. Um, if I were to try and briefly explain, what happens is every property in Ukraine is registered with the Ukrainian government. They specify an owner of that property in a registry. In that registry, they have a U.S. company that owns the property. And what they did is in the operating agreements and bylaws of the U.S. based company, they say, hey, whoever owns this digital asset and NFT has access to the transfer and ownership rights of this corporation. So imagine, you know, the executive like board of directors and the executives sign a, a binding contract in advance saying whoever owns this digital asset we will transfer like all our voting rights and power to this person. Now, there's there's two layers to this. You could have either, well, I could have either just bought the NFT and then flipped it. And at that point, I literally just would have had to like type my name, like first and last name in a form. That's the, the minimal K, KYC, mm-hmm. uh, know your customer. Then, you know, you just send someone ETH. Cool, you own it and then you know, someone wants it later, they give me their name and then, well, they give Proppy their name 
and then send me ETH. And then they could have flipped it very easily, you know, without knowing any, you know, further KYC. Mm. Now the, the second layer is if you actually wanted to take ownership of the LLC, which is um, a right and an option, but not mandatory. Mm. So imagine in the scenario of if you lost your keys for your wallet, uh, then you wouldn't necessarily be able to prove that you owned that digital asset. So you might want to further securitize that by also like owning the company just is like, you know, ha have an extra, you know, uh, you know safe, safeguard. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, cause I, I could only imagine back, oops, you know, I dropped my ledger, you know, off the boat. Uh, <laughs> guess my house is gone. <laughs> that would kind of suck. Yeah, now no, nobody owns the house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So, um, yeah, there's two layers that there, but as far as like flipping uh, property, like you, there's no legal documents or anything else that you would have need to sign unless you planned on taking over the LLC. So like you actually could have just sent people ETH, boom, you own it, and then transfer over from there and, you know, just the paperwork. And that's based on those two factors. Like if uh, you mentioned the name and holding the NFT. So if if by chance someone got the NFT, but their name wasn't uh, in that, I guess, know your customer registration, is there like, what would happen in that case? Would that cause, um, if they were like, oh, I have the NFT, I'm holding like it's physical, but it's not. <laughs> but if they were like, oh, I have the NFT now, I'm the owner, but your name's still, I guess, in that contract, is there an argument to be had that, well, no, it hasn't transferred correctly or how would that work? Yeah. So maybe gray in, area. <laughs> yeah. So in this scenario, um, the like, like the U S based company is supposed to give all voting rights and all abilities for, for execution ship, uh, on, the nft owner so whoever has that private key even if your name like you didn't type in your name to that form um you know you can then prove hey like my name wasn't previously on this registry but i own this asset therefore add my name to the registry i see and you know at that point you just say hey like my name is you know john doe send me the keys and then get okay um right. you know you, you prove that you own the asset um now, of course, if they want, they can have more things of following up with the previous owner and confirming, oh, yes, you did steal this. Someone didn't like run up to you at gunpoint and say, you know, give me your NFT house or something. Because, <laughs> of course, you know, that that wouldn't work. But. but I'm curious about that, because to me, that's one of the I guess I mean, it's, it's super interesting to even just consider buying something physical and that's expensive and like permanent at least mostly permanent like a like a piece of property um but on the flip side it's also super interesting to consider how uh nft you know the the advantages of it a lot of the um the things that come with that are the ease of transfer and so at some point down the road like you mentioned if this is the way of the future and more and more people start transacting in this way at some point you would think uh you know there's going to be some sort of criminal or fraudulent activity that will eventually take place and so it could be a real scenario at some point that someone is held at gunpoint and someone else does take that 
uh, NFT from them potentially if they, you know, they get access to their private key. Now they have the NFT. And at that point, I suppose, like to get away with that, you know, we're talking about something physical, right? So it's like, Mm -hmm. well, they would have to show their face, right? You can't really hide unless you want to never use this place. So if you are now claiming that you're the owner, I suppose something like that would just go to court like any other, you know, uh, type of crime or or, or something like Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. So imagine the scenario of like, if someone steals a car, they have full physical ownership of that car. And, you know, you have a paper trail proving the, the provenance or origin of that car and that they weren't indeed the true owner. So then you go to court, sue them, take it back. So I would guess in this scenario, in the future where, you know, people have digital ownership of these properties, then someone, if they were to try and steal it, and even if they successfully stole it, then people could go to, you know, the government saying, okay, well, in your registry, it is tied to this corporation or this individual on paper. Uh, You can see that like there is this digital transaction of the asset, that digital transaction was, you know, under duress, or was like, you know, somehow not legal. Uh, Therefore, like, I want to contest this, you prove your case in court and they say, Hey, okay, you know, either give it back or, you know, we will uh, you know, put you in jail or something. Mm-hmm. And even in that scenario where there wouldn't be jail time, you can, of course, um, if it is held by a company, you can, you know, through your bylaws, generate a new NFT, burn the original. Mm-hmm. And, you know, cause I, like I technically have the option to sell the property, not as an NFT, right? If I just wanted to go the traditional real estate route, I could do that. I would just need to burn the NFT because that, you know, logical chain of ownership now right. becomes nonsensical. But um, as, as far as, you know, people, you know, trying to, to steal stuff, I, I think that there's still, of course, the, um, the, the legal court system. Right. So this year, I mean, NFTs have been one of the big stories in the crypto space in general, uh, their popularity, going from relatively unknown in the in the public space to, you know, headlines and and crazy amounts being paid for some NFTs that are nothing more than than just digital art. There's nothing built into the smart contract, no utility. Looking at the price you paid 36 ETH, to me seems pretty reasonable the fact that you're getting an actual, you know, piece of property with it. What are your feelings on on the value? I mean, do you think you got a good deal on this? Yeah, so I had a price baked in mind um, and, you know, luckily I was able to, to come in under that price. I assumed going into that auction that it would have gone to some ridiculous figure that, you know, the, how should I say, the speculators and the people that are just like, hey, you know, I got in on ETH when it was $10 and now I'm like, you know, I have hundreds of millions of dollars. I'm just going to buy this because... I don't care. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a few people out there that were willing to do that. So I thought the property was going to go for like hundreds of thousands, maybe even like half a million dollars or whatever. Cause you see these like digital NFT houses, that's essentially just a VR experience that sell for half a million, which, you know, I'll speculate, Hey, everyone has puts different value on stuff. So fine. If you value it that much, great. Um, I wouldn't, <laughs> but, um, I went, when I was speaking, um, with, with Michael Arrington, he he mentioned that he was appreciative of the fact that the price came 
you know, within a multiple of regular real estate pricing, because I think if we were to have this price of the house for, you know, millions and millions of dollars, like something like way above market rate, mm. then it would have almost taken away some of the, the grounded reality of, Hey, this is like the future of real estate and like how we just plan on transacting properties. Mm. Um, it's not, you know, as much as a gimmick thing. Yeah. Um, so I feel like if it were to go to speculative pricing instead of something more based in, Hey, this is like a realistic value for the property, then that would have, um, kind of made it more gimmicky, um, which is maybe why they had it be a little less of a mainstream uh, thing because they only announced the auction a week in advance. So, you know, they, if they wanted, they could have said it, you know, super far in the future and probably got a lot of more bidders. What about the fact that it's in Kiev? I mean, just in general, buying a property that's in a different country across an ocean you know is that uh is there any difficulties you foresee in managing a property that isn't close to home and and have you ever been to kiev do you plan to go out there so i have not yet been to kiev i plan on going there soon uh of course to uh set up the place for short-term rentals (laughs) um and of course you know it'd be fun to see the place but um as far as I think most real estate investors would probably consider of there are property managers and a lot of remote services that you can do, you know, whether it's, Hey, a different part of the United States or a different country, of course, going international, there's going to be other like tax and other implications. I assume my taxes are going to become stupid because of this, (laughs) (laughs) but but whatever. Yeah. We'll see. I'll try and try and get people to figure out as best they can. But uh, as far as, you know, taking care of a property and renting out, like there, there are people that you can pay, you know, percentage uh, management fee to do that. And as far as, you know, buying something international, I would say not being able to see the property. Like I only learned the address of the property after I already bought it. So I'm like, I hope it's real. I'm pretty (laughs) sure it's real, but I'm not a hundred percent certain. Um, the, the funny thing was apparently, uh, if I heard of the auction earlier, apparently they send out a bunch of like diligence documents like, Hey, like it, the property was assessed by a bank. It assessed for this much, yada, 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 all the legal stuff. Um, I could have had access to those documents, but I joined the game late. But, um, you know, I assume that there's always going to be a little bit of a trust factor. Okay. Eventually we need to also digitize the, um, whoever is providing these assessments and appraisals and making sure that, you know, these people are credible, kind of like SSL certificate verification for, right. for that process. Cause you have like authorizers and then people that just, you know, are participants. Ulf, do you realize that our audience has either been watching or listening to this episode for 20 minutes, 20 minutes. They should probably subscribe. Yeah, they should subscribe and they should like and comment and hit that notifications bell. Oh, and did you tell them about the NFTs? That's right. We have our own NFT for our OG supporters. This is a way you can support our show, help us bring you continual great content. Information on that is below. So Devin, one of the things I was wondering about the way you explained this, is it unique to like this type of thing could only happen somewhere like the Ukraine with the way they have everything set up? Or how do you think that this is going to expand beyond? Could other countries be doing this as well? Yeah. So 
Proppy has already transacted, I believe, a billion dollars worth of real estate in the U.S. Um, as regular like smart contracts, not necessarily NFTs. Uh, of course, this property was the first. Um, that was just because Ukraine made it a bit easier. I think any country that allows a corporation or a company to be a holder of a property, which I assume would be nearly every country, would be allowed to have this um, arrangement set up. Because if you only had individual ownership, then an individual isn't necessarily tied to act in a particular way, even though I guess they still might be bound by a legal contract, but might be a bit harder to enforce right. uh, against them. But like realistically speaking, you know, if a company can own a property and that company can enter any kind of legal agreement that they want, including selling the company for someone for some arbitrary clause, then yeah, like they, they should be able to do that. And going back to Proppy and their involvement. So uh, I don't know too much about their technology. I know they have some real estate software of some kind that helps facilitate that helped you uh, facilitate this transfer. Um, can you maybe talk a little bit more just about their involvement and, and how their technology helped facilitate this? Yeah, so they are the people that write the legal contracts in like the real world. Like here's a, a physical document that, you know, we say is the controllership of how the company works and how, you know, the, the wrapping of a property would work. So they, they do all the legwork to make sure that the physical asset is, is properly like wrapped in a company and like have all these bylaws running properly. And they also happen to have written, written the smart contracts for, okay, you know, here's actually how, you know, the transfer go back and forth. And I assume those, you know, the, at least how NFT smart contracts and other stuff like that is a bit commoditized and like open source right now. But I definitely think their, their expertise is the, um, you know, that, that legal framework document. Because uh, it's still a very new space. Yeah. Okay. And part of the re like part of the reason I asked that question is just because when we think about real estate real estate transactions today in the traditional sense, um, you know, there's a few parties that are involved. There's always a lawyer. There's always um, a, a real estate agent. There's always a mortgage broker. Well, if you're getting a mortgage, um, and and I guess my curiosity here with Proppy is like, if we go forward, this is the future, people start um, doing this through NFTs and it's not a resell, it's like a new purchase with a new NFT and this contract needs to be created. Is Proppy one of these new entities that now jumps into that game and is going to be utilized for those, uh, those needs? Yeah, so... When we think of like the goal of reducing middlemen over time and making it as fast and cheap as possible, I would believe that for the short term right now, legal frameworks, at least in the US, say you always need a real estate agent involved in a transaction, right? Um, which that seems pretty arbitrary. Like if I want to have less of a good deal and like less uh, protecting of my decision making, like I shouldn't necessarily be forced to employ a real estate agent if I want to make a bad decision. That said, uh, probably, of course, can do this on their side, right? They in-house can have a real estate agent 
in theory, um, that they, you know, just sign off on a whole bunch of deals and they get paid a salary or something because, you know, they're only really there like in, in person or I'm sorry, like, you know, as, as more of a technicality, at least for yeah. the short term. Uh, now, of course, you know, I'm sure like, I, I don't ex- actually know what their employment setup if they have these real estate agents and like what exactly they do. But like in theory, like that could just be a very token role. And assuming over time, as we realize, hey, like if we can just have one arbitrary real estate agent that signs off on thousands of transactions, you know, a week, then okay, that that cost part is pretty much down. And then hopefully regulations would eventually catch up and say, okay, well, I guess we don't actually need a real estate agent because like they're really not doing anything right now. And then then people can without with that rule removed could directly transfer uh, person to person without any middlemen, assuming they have, you know, some other legal binding contract that can um, be enforceable in court. Devin, there's a there's a bunch of things that you're doing. There was a thread or or some tweets you put out. Michael Arrington kind of arranged them into a Twitter thread. Uh, and I want to walk through each of these step by step because they're really interesting concepts and just breaking it down. So there's several things you're planning to do with this property. And the first you mentioned are short term rentals. And guests are going to get their own NFT as a little memento for staying in the property. So can you explain like how you're doing that? Is that going to be through something like Airbnb? Is it going to be your own way of renting that out? Or how's that process going to work? Yeah, so I would like if the idea that people can pay in crypto and say your fiat is not good here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I guess part of the, the problem that I would need to resolve is the credibility of people staying. So, you know, Airbnb has a nice fashion of, Hey, people have a history. Uh, They didn't smash up previous houses. This person's probably reputable. So, Unless I were to say, hey, I have an escrow account, put in ETH, and unless you like smash up the property, like you'll get your stuff back, cool. But like we need kind of like a a hotel that puts like a a hold on your credit card or whatever. You need something that that is equivalent in crypto for that to work. But also it'd be nice if we had this uh, historical precedent of, hey, there's a track record for this person. So... Initially, I might do some level of Airbnb um, just because it's nice to have that, you know, authenticity of, of people. But I, I could very much eventually see we have some other form of verifying that people are, you know, not going to cause problems. And it's entirely crypto and like self-hosted on the site. And then what will the NFT, like, have you thought about like the design of it or is it just like you know, just, uh, and will they be numbered? It's like, I was the first guest or I was the 50th guest or something like that. Yeah. So the property actually has a mural. Um, one of the walls are painted, um, a, a pretty famous local artist in Kiev, uh, you know, did, did a mural on the property. So we have the digital version of that and the, the physical real world version of it. So I assume some manifestation of that, you know, digital art, as well as, hey, yes, you are number five or number one. Um, and I'm sure there's a way to like put that in some 
pretty containerized or like card-like fashion or whatever. I, I'm, I'm blown away with all the, the beautiful art that people have been able to create in, uh, in, in Ev2. So I'm sure there's like a way that people can combine things together and make it pretty. And on the subject of digital art and getting into maybe that, uh, you know, that digital realm, there's you, there's something else going on uh, around augmented reality and virtual reality. Is that right? And maybe you can explain that. Yeah. So imagine, uh, you know, the, the mural at the property. Um, so we can take that mural and uh, kind of section it off into like a hundred or a thousand different um, grids, right? Squares. And you can auction off each of those grids and someone can say, Hey, uh, I, uh, you know, they have a message or an image that they would like to you know, send off. So you can of course have a digital version of on any website, you can look at, you know, a particular section of the mural and say, okay, cool. Like, you know, Hey, so-and-so from this place wrote something great. Um, but you could also, uh, when you visit the property, you can have an AR experience from your phone. You can overlay uh, when you're viewing the mural, you can actually see overlapping. So that will require some extra innovation to, to build out. Just you need to actually connect that um, digital grid to overlay on top of the, um, you know, physical mapping of, of the apartment. But, um, you know, that, that's definitely doable. Um, I think that would be interesting both for, you know, anyone just online that happens to find interesting, but also, you know, eventually if people find it, you know, very curious or fascinating, almost like a museum like fashion to, yeah, to, yeah. to visit a place, you can see it in the real world as well. This is going to date myself, but it makes me think of, um, there was once a website called uh, something like a million pixels.com. And it okay. was literally just a web page with this big square and it was just a million pixels but the the person who created the website they were selling each individual pixel for a dollar and they sold the whole thing i believe and so people like some some i believe even some bigger companies bought like big chunks of it right and filled up this huge grid full of different advertisements or whatever just to be a part of that sort of history at the time it was getting a lot of press so it's, it reminds me of that but that's like obviously not not as cool now as something like virtual reality and augmented reality but yeah funny story <laughs> and the, and then the third innovative because you've got a list of things you're doing here but you're also considering tokenized ownership so how will that work and is that going to be involved with like you giving up then some some fraction of what you own yeah, so I was thinking of converting the um, NFT into something that is like breaking up into portions. So imagine you could own a one ten thousandth of the house. Um, I was advised uh, by Michael Arrington that it was probably a bad idea to do that um, because one, because your taxes will come ridiculous. Uh, the IRS will not be happy, mm. but also the sec, um, gets very, uh, picky when people start offering securities and stuff. <laughs> so they'd say, Hey, um, you know, we really don't like this. Don't do that. Uh, you know, that, that could be very regulation and like financial bad. Uh, so 
I would, in theory, I like uh, intellectually and emotionally find that very fun. I would like to see if there's a way to pull off. There might be. Some people are doing fractionalized real estate for big commercial, like hundred unit buildings where, okay, if you spend, you know, tens of thousands of dollars for someone to own a fractional part of a property, you know, that's worth hundreds of millions of dollars, then like, that's fine. But spending tens of thousands of dollars for legal paperwork for something that's worth like a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars, you know, your slice of something doesn't really make sense. So if there's a way to make sure that that ownership is like legally maintained and the SEC wouldn't go crazy about it because this is still all very new. Um, and, you know, it's, you know, not legally problematic or expensive for folks, then sure, you know, we, we could explore that. But apparently that's, um, might be too on the bleeding part of bleeding edge. So, <laughs> Yeah, it sounds a little bit dicey for sure. And, yeah. and then the fourth thing is a crypto mortgage. So you've already, I mean, obviously you you can afford, you, you've gotten the property, you've paid it outright, um, but you're still considering a crypto mortgage. So how will that work in like what company is it that's offering a crypto mortgage? Yeah, so it's a uh, Helios lending. Um, they will essentially say for any digital asset, they can get a value of that asset and then provide you, you know, crypto uh, in, in the form of um, you know mortgaging that asset. So you you could do it in things that aren't even houses, right? Like if you happen to have, you know, let's say. Uh, Maybe CryptoPunks is too speculative of a value, um, but you know, for for you know any particular um, digital asset, they can get a value what they think is fair market, and then say, okay, you know, hey, we'll lend you this amount, pay us back over this time horizon with this interest rate. If you don't, we'll seize the asset. Seems pretty fair. Interesting. Is it primarily just NFTs that they do that with then? Uh, so I think there's like a area that they're uh, expanding in uh i think they've they've done other kind of more traditional lendings in the past hmm. it's interesting like the thought of, it goes back to with nfts how they're very um multi-applicational you know and and the fact that this nft that you have represents a real physical property which to most people probably makes a whole lot more sense when you're talking about collateralizing it and get, getting a loan for it and I wonder when it's something that is purely digital, like a crypto punk or something like that, you know, what what can you really expect in return? Um, but I guess we'll see what's in store for the future for that, the, that type of scenario. Yeah, I would think as prices stabilize for an asset, then it might make more sense. So if something has been traded 10,000 times and it's all been, you know, let's say a crypto punk has been trading at like $50,000 for the past five years in the future um, at a specific price point, then it might be fair to assume that for any lender, they are more certain that if they need to liquidate it, they can liquidate that asset for at least this price. Because of course they don't want to hold it on their books. So I think that any digital, even purely digital asset, you can track a hating, uh, a trading history and price over time. So I feel like as you compound more and more trades, you can be more certain about what something is actually could be liquidated for. And, and so I listed a number of things there that that are innovative that you're doing. And I think at the bottom of that, you had tweeted out, if I, if there's any other ideas, let me know. Like, is there anything else that's come out from, from other people commenting or other ways you think you can be innovative with this property? 
Yeah. So some folks, you know, have different ideas for whether you would do a, when we talk about fractional ownership, you can like share revenues or you can share um, only resale value of a thing. You can also share the um, like time at a property. So, you know, if you're a fractional owner, maybe you get like one week out of the year. I think that that would be too convoluted. And I don't think timeshares are probably great, <laughs> but you know, there, there's different ideas. Um, I, I think some people had different ideas for the auctioning of uh, the, VR or sorry, the, the augmented, um, experience as well as like the, you know, the NFT portion of saying, Hey, you know, you can, instead of selling out plots, uh, you could have a way where people can, I believe the website was like, this art is not for sale.com or this art is always for sale.com mm -hmm. where every year, um, whoever the owner is, they actually like pay a percentage of the value of the artwork back to the original creator. Um, otherwise they would relinquish their right. And it seems to be a way that the creator or originator of an asset can continue to get value as it appreciates. So imagine if, you know, if something like a, a, an NFT were to, you know, get traded a whole bunch of times. And then eventually, you know, one person holds it and it appreciates 10 X. There's no way for the original, um, you know, creator or artist to, you know, get their cut of that appreciation. Right. Right. Um, so imagine if when we say, Hey, like you're, t you currently own a thing, anyone that's willing to pay more than what you paid for it will immediately get it. So the only way for someone to, actually like continue owning something is to know that, Hey, they're the actually the person that values it the most. Mm -hmm. Um, so it becomes this like utility maximizing thing of truly at any point, like whoever values something most is actually the owner. Um, and the, you know, it, it's, it's more fair economics for any artist or creator, uh, of an asset, which seems pretty interesting. That is very interesting concept. And one thing, and this might be a silly question, but I'll ask it anyways. So some of these NFTs, the the person who created it or originally held it, they maybe have some form of, of royalty on it or something like that. Is that the case here? Like, do, does Michael, if, the, if you were to go and sell this NFT, is there any sort of royalty or any sort of amount that Michael would get from the fact that he originally owned it? I'm guessing probably not, but... So he could have structured uh, the NFT sales to have for any future transaction, he gets a percent of it. Right. That could have well happened. Uh, he didn't. Right. Um, but, you know, th there was nothing stopping him from doing that if he wanted. Right. Mm -hmm. It is possible. Interesting. Well, there's been so much, uh, so much value in this conversation, Devin. It's really cool what you've done. We like to end every episode of Show Me the Crypto with the same three questions for every guest. It's a segment that we call You Had Me at Crypto. So Alf's going to ask you those questions. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> All right. So who is your favorite person to follow in the crypto space? Um, I think Sam uh, Bankfriedman uh, of, of FTX. 
Um, I'm particularly a Solana junkie and FTX junkie. Um, I very much admire what they're doing, both from like perpetual futures, really cool, unique offering. And, you know, Ethereum can be slow and expensive. And, you know, Solana has a lot of really cool stuff on, on their um, smart contracts. So, um, yeah, I, I think they use a, a lot of good hot takes. Um, but also, you know, seems to be pretty grounded. Awesome. What will the price of Bitcoin be 10 years from now? 10 years, uh, oh, 600,000. I like that. Yeah. You <laughs> thought about that, but then you said it with confidence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like it too, because so many people just give like general, like a million, for example, is the most common answer that we get. But yeah, you were like 600,000 first time we've heard that. I like it. Yeah. Uh, all right. What will, or sorry, what is the most underrated coin or project in crypto? Oh, I have two in mind, but it's hard to pick between them. You can say both. Okay. Uh, I think first Solana, um, a lot of people don't know about it, even though like the transaction speed and the amount of volume that they've already processed is like 50, like they've already processed 50 X the volume of Ethereum has ever done. And they're like a thousand times faster. It's insane. Wow. Uh, they, they already have a bunch of apps running on their, their blockchain. Um, but you know, of course it you know, takes more time for a developer community to grow. Um, so I think that that is just going to be like a very pressing force going forward. Like people always joke around about like, this is an Ethereum killer. Um, and like, I'm sure there's a bunch of other really cool, like smart contract stuff out there. But, um, as far as these people, they're really smart and you know seem to be, have something, and they, they actually show success. Uh, the other thing, other coin that I always find interesting is uh, mobile coin. So uh, it is essentially a, a privacy token where we say, hey, you know, I want to give you money. Uh, I want to make sure that only you and I know about it. No one else can know. And uh, you know, there, there's a few other privacy coins out there. Um, but, you know, I, I think mobile coin seems to be implemented the best. Uh, also, it is um, advised by the founder of Signal. So, you know, this seems to be a coin that is, how should I say, like mobile coin is the only cryptocurrency implemented in Signal Messenger. So many messaging applications have been trying to add a cryptocurrency or a way to send payments between people. And we know Signal is probably one of the most reputable um, you know, private messaging applications. And right now they have it live only for UK uh, phone numbers, but people in the UK can privately you know, receive and send value um, between people. And eventually that will you know, roll out to other countries as well. But uh, I've been very excited about that project since uh, hearing of it. Super interesting. Well, this has been an awesome conversation, Devin. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Show Me the Crypto. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. Been a fun time. Thank you for listening to Show Me the Crypto. Please make sure to subscribe as well as rate and review this podcast.